We're going to read in Ephesians, and then we'll move to four other passages, because there are five New Testament passages which speak about our responsibility of being a worker, an employee, or an employer. And what I want to do is take all of these five passages, merge them all up together, all together, and come up with some principles that will lay the groundwork for our study next time in Colossians chapter 3, very specifically. Ephesians chapter 6 begins our look at what it means to be a faithful Christian employee in Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, or employees, because that is really a rough equivalent for our time and in our day, Employees, be obedient to those who are your employers according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free." And employers, do the same things to them, that is, the employees, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And then with your finger in Ephesians, I want you to turn over to the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 22 and running through chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3, employees, in all things obey those who are your employers on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Employers, grant to your employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And then I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Keeping your finger in those other passages, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Paul tells Timothy here, all who are under the yoke as employees, slaves, are to regard their own employers as worthy of all honor, so that the name of our God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their bosses must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. And then I want you to turn also to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. There Paul says to Titus, urge bond slaves, employees, to be subject to their own employers in everything 
to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing or pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And then 1 Peter chapter 2 will complete our five passages that we'll summarize this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Employees, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are perverse or unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds grace with God. Now, how are we to relate all of these combined passages to our Christian employment? Well, if you were to combine them all, it might be like this poem called The Living Sermon. It goes like this. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the preachers are the one who live their creeds. For to see God put in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in actions. Your tongue too fast may run. The lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. And I may not understand the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. You see, when we are Christian workers, employees, out in the workforce, and virtually every one of us are, or preparing for it, we have a responsibility to live our life in such a way that when people see our employment, they see Christ through our work. That's really what those five passages summarize for us. It really answers the question, what is our role as an employee? What is our role as an employer? What's the model for anyone who desires to be a conscientious Christian in the workplace? You know, just as believers are said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether they eat or drink to do all to the glory of God, it says for us, whether we do anything in the workplace, whether it's eating or drinking or working to any degree, it's to do so all for the glory of God. How can we give glory to God in our work? Well, if you were to summarize those five passages, as I have done, I believe you could come up with what we would say are four non-negotiable principles. Four unending and binding regulations for us as a Christian employee. Here they are. Number one. Number one. We are to submit to our boss. We are to submit to our boss. If there's anything that comes clearly through those five passages as we summarize them, it is submission. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, the first passage that we read, the very first thing that comes out is this, employees be obedient. That's really the first subheading under submission, to be obedient. 
He says in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, doing the will of God. You see, it's a doing idea. It's an obedience. We are to actively, constantly, habitually do the will of God. And what is the will of God in that context? To do our work. We are to do the will of God because He's called us, commanded us to be that kind of employee. In verse 8 of Ephesians 6, it says, as each one does. Three times in that very, very succinct context, we are said to be doing something. We're to be obedient to our boss. In the Colossians passage in verse 22, it says, in all things obey. The next verse, whatever you do, do your work. In verse 25, for he who does wrong and that which he has done. It's an amazing thing. It's telling us very, very clearly that as a worker, our Christianity is a doing religion. We're all about being obedient as a Christian employee. And not just obedience, but subjection. We are to subject our will to the will of our boss. Or if you're the employer, you are to subject your business, your company, to the will of your ultimate boss, God himself. You say, how so? Well, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, that passage we read, says, urge bond slaves to be subject, and then it says, in everything. Unqualified. Unqualified subjection. 1 Peter 2.18 says, servants, be submissive. So, if we are to be submissive in our work, it means that we're obedient, and it means that we subject our will to the will of the one who employs us. And then I think, thirdly, there's another component of our submission, and that is respect. Respect. Paul even goes so far in Ephesians 6.5 to say that we are to treat our earthly boss, our employer, with fear and trembling. Phobos and traumas. What does that mean? Well, it means a respect, a reverence, and awe. It implies a responsibility that we have to look at our boss as though we were serving Jesus Christ himself. You say, wait a minute. You can't certainly imply that when I serve my boss, the one that I work with, that you don't know anything about, but that I know quite well, that I'm supposed to respect him as though I respect Jesus Christ himself. That's what Paul says. He says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. He says, with good will, render service as to the Lord. You say, how can I do that practically? Well, you look through your boss to the ultimate Lord, the ultimate boss, Jesus himself, and you say, I submit to you, and if you ask me to submit to him or her, I shall do so. And I shall do so in everything. I will respect them if for nothing else the respect is as to Christ. And we do so because, Paul says to the Colossians, you are actually in your workplace fearing the Lord. It's a fear of God. It's a reverence of God. It's an honoring of God. How is it an honoring? Because God has commanded us to do it. And when we are submissive, when we are subjecting our will to our earthly boss, when we are respecting him, that is tantamount to respecting Jesus Christ himself. You remember in the First Timothy passage, it says they are worthy of all honor. They're worthy of all honor. Why? 
because God has placed them there in His providence. And we respect God. We believe God is perfect. We believe He has a plan that will allow us to submit and respect anyone over us, even if we disagree. Even if we believe that when they tell us to do a certain aspect of our job, we believe the better thing is to do it a different way. But we respect it, we honor it, we submit ourselves to it because the testimony of God is reflected in how we honor our boss. He even says in the 1 Timothy 6 passage, don't be disrespectful. Respect, that's the positive. Don't be disrespectful, that's the negative. Why? Well, Titus says, it is the method of our evangelism. So that the, the God and Father, so that Jesus Christ, so that our doctrine, so that our salvation may be adorned. Boy, I love that. So that someone can, as it were, robe themselves in the doctrine, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, because they see us doing the same thing. Now, yes, this is a challenge. Yes, this is hard work, but when you obey, when you subject yourself to your boss, when you respect them, that is the essence of submission, and that's what these passages are calling us to live out. Secondly, not only am I to submit myself to my earthly boss, but I'm also to do it with sincerity. Sincerity. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, in the sincerity of your heart. That's how you are to submit. That's how you're to be a Christian employee for Christ. You do it with what I like to say is a single-mindedness. A single-mindedness. It's the attitude of unmixed devotion. That your thoughts are not scattered. That you're not being distracted. You're not dissuaded from your task at hand, and that is to work for the glory of God. You do it with such a singular focus that it's almost as though you have blinders on. You see those horses when they race, and they are very easily distracted by those things around them. And so they put those blinders next to the eyes of those horses so that all they can see is the goal in front of them. And what we must do if we're godly employees, is we must do it with a sincerity, a single-mindedness of a direction. You're completely devoted to the task at hand with complete concentration and dedication. David Martin Lloyd-Jones great preacher of yesteryear, said a Christian is disobeying this statement by the apostle if at work, during his master's time, and when he ought to be doing his master's work, is directing his attention to any other interest. Several years ago, when I was a part of the Council of Elders at Grace Community Church, we thought that this particular issue of the Christian life was so important, so critical for a Christians everyday living that we produced a little booklet called The Christian at Work and we said in it does that mean it is wrong to spend time at work daydreaming what about making a few handouts from my Bible study on the office copier is it really working to spend an extra half hour after lunch is it really wrong preparing to teach a Bible study or doing work for a church committee If you are being paid by your employer you owe him undivided attention to your work we have no right to appropriate for ourselves, however good our motives may be, that which belongs to our master. What about the employee who spends hours each day talking about his faith instead of working? What kind of example is being set for other employees? Our work demands our full attention and energy. We cannot show respect to our employers by taking advantage of them. 
It is easy to rationalize an occasional taking of our employees' time and their right to our full attention at work. He'll never notice it, we say. It won't affect the business. I'm using this time for the Lord. The boss won't care if I take a few pencils, paper clips, or notepads. But if Christ were your employer, He would be entitled to your honesty, your singleness of purpose, your wholehearted, all-out effort, and your full concentration and attention to the job. Is your earthly master entitled to less? The fact is, you owe your employer a full day's work with an undivided mind, integrity, full devotion, and singleness or sincerity of heart. You say, where does that sincerity come from? It comes from within. There's an internal motivation. It may not always be seen on the external side, but internally your desire is, I'm doing this for Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's my boss. He's the one I look to. That would be like an athlete or anyone in any public profession who would do something to such a degree that even if the entire universe were watching, he has only one audience, Jesus himself. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.6 6, that you're doing your work not by way of eye service. Ophthalmodulia. That you're doing it with the boss looking. That's the only motivation. He says, no, the external motivation, that may be one thing when the employees are looking, fellow workers, or even your own boss. But even if they weren't, you'd be doing your work because inside, in your heart of hearts, where nobody else lives but you, you're being totally focused on your work because it's Christ whom you serve. He even goes so far as to say, not as men-pleasers, not as those who are only doing it because of the praise of men or the adulation of men. I'm only doing this sort of work so that I may be elevated to another position, so I may be able to climb the corporate ladder. I want to make sure that I'm working when the boss is here. I want to make sure that everybody sees how hard I'm working because I want that advancement in my career. Paul says no. No, the motivation for us is to do it even if no one else was around. Well, wouldn't that be great if we were so focused in our work, so completely committed to Christ as Lord, as our boss, that even if no one else was around, we'd be working as hard as we ever would be. The typical opposite of that is this. How will this affect me might be one of our questions. What will this do for my career? What will they think of me? Is my appearance all right? What do they think of my ability and my potential for advancement? What does the boss think of me? What do my co-workers think of me? Well, if those questions are any other questions than the ones that you're asking about Christ as your ultimate boss, what does Christ think of me? What does He think about my potential? Am I being a faithful servant of the Lord? Am I doing it for Him and Him alone? You see, my friends, the sincere Christian worker is single-minded in his devotion to God and His work and he's internally motivated to see only Christ in his job, pleasing only him. And if the boss is ultimately pleased, if your fellow employees are ultimately pleased, if anybody outside your business hears of what you're doing and they're ultimately pleased, that's really a side benefit. That may be only icing on the cake, but when you know that you are pleasing to God and you're doing a full day's work for a full day's attention to Jesus Christ, you're doing well. You're sincere. Thirdly, not only your submission, not only your sincerity, but that you are serving. 
serving. Ephesians 6, 7 says, With good will render service. This is an employment. We are there to render service. Did you notice that in those five passages that we read, every one of them mentions a slave? Now, in that culture, and we'll find out more about this next time, that culture was very, very different than what we might assume is slavery. When we think of slavery, our minds often go back to the slavery of the late 1800s. And there might be some commonality there, but really, in the New Testament time, slavery was the thing that really marked out someone's attitude more than their station in life. Because you could have a slave who might be in a very, very prominent position in society. He might be a doctor. He might be a, an attorney. He might be someone who was still subjecting himself to someone who had charge of him, legally and financially. Or it could be someone on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. There might have even been up to a quarter of a million slaves in that time in which Paul wrote. You might have even had uh, an earthly boss who was a member of the congregation and their slave as an elder over them in the fellowship. And so when he comes along and says, with good will, good will render service, he's simply saying, listen, wherever you are in your station in life, whether you're a slave or a free man, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you are a man or a woman, your responsibility is to render service in whatever God gives you in this life. Whatever your employment is, be a slave. Be a bond slave. Be a willing participant. And not just that, he says, be a slave of Christ, Ephesians 6, 6. Be a slave of Christ. He even says in Colossians 3.24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And really what he's saying is, what's ever going on in the externals, that's of little significance in the big picture. What is absolutely fundamental for all of us is that when I see my employment, I'm actually seeing right through that employment to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the one I serve. He's my all in all. He's the one whom I'm to look to for all of my pleasure, all of his will in my life that my, that my obligation is to obey. Christian employers or employees are called to be servants of their employers or employees because they're actually serving Christ at the same time. And then number four, if need be, if need be in our employment, we'll suffer. We'll suffer. Not just submission, not just sincerity of heart, not just serving the Lord and serving our boss, but if need be, we might even suffer, for Christ's sake, in our employment. And this might be where you are living right now. You might be in a situation in which you say, I have a boss who's very perverse, who's very unreasonable. And you might even have a situation where your boss would say to you, I want you to falsify this. I want you to forge this. I want you to do this or that. And when we know that we're called to serve in everything, to respect in everything, to honor in everything, that's the line we cannot cross. Because if we're serving Christ, ultimately, Christ has given us a set of ground rules. And if we're asked to break those ground rules, we know we can't do it. What happens if your boss comes to you and he says, but I want you to do this. I know that you're a Christian, and I know that you would not want to do this, but I must have it. Your response is, I can't do that. 
And if he says, if you will not do that, then you will no longer be an employee here. And my response is, it is the Lord Christ whom I serve. If I can't work here anymore, then God has already given me His express will in His providence because I cannot do this. You say, what does the Scripture say about a perverse boss? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. So incredibly important. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable or perverse, twisted in their thinking or twisted in their action. For this finds grace or favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, you have God as your audience. He's in charge. He's your boss. He's number one. And if for the sake of conscience toward God and all His rules and regulations, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, you're going to have grace there. You see, that's your answer. That's your answer from the Word of God. If my boss tells me to do something that's perverse, out of line, incorrect, not preferences now, not preferences, not just because he says do it this way and I know the better job is to do it that way, but when he says I want you to do something wrong and you say I'm obligated to do something right. When he is unreasonable, when he is perverse, and when he commands you to do something wrong, you're obligated to disobey. And if you should suffer for it, it says this finds grace with God. It's for the sake of conscience toward God. And then Peter says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated for it, you endure it with patience? In other words, you are actually being persecuted, but in the final investigation of this persecution, you are actually found out to be sinful in your response to this boss. And then you say, oh, I'm suffering, I'm, perse I'm being persecuted, I'm really having a hard time, we'll explain it, well, this and this and this, well, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. And if you're not supposed to do that, that's a sin. And if you're in sin, you can't really honestly say I'm being persecuted for righteousness sake. And I can't expect that God's grace will be given to me. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You say, well, I don't have that situation. What I really have is I have a Christian environment. I work in a parachurch ministry or I work in another church situation or I work here or I'm in a position where I have other godly employees around me and boy, boy, it is a great time. And we have prayer times together and we talk about all of our challenges in the workplace and boy, I just wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Well, that may be good and that may be God's provision for you, but did you realize that it actually may be God's greater provision for you to work in a non-Christian environment? For what purpose? For your testimony. I wouldn't say it's easier to work in a Christian environment. Sometimes it may even be more difficult because of potential compromise and those who profess that they know Christ but are not living for Christ. But certainly, in a pagan environment, in a non-Christian environment, with the world watching you, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to live for Christ, to never shave the corners, to never push the envelope. To never say to yourself or to others, I'm going to cross that line. But to say to yourself, with God watching, I will not cross that line because I know He's here. I know He's seeing everything that I'm saying and doing. It's the living sermon. And if that happens, you may have employees around you. You may have your boss. You may have other people saying, criticizing things about you. 
demeaning things about you, deriding you for your standards. You may even be in a Christian environment where Christians in your environment have this standard, but you know that the standard of the Word of God is here, and you want to live that, and even Christians are criticizing you for your holiness, the virtue of your life. In whatever situation you may be, God says, if you're suffering justly, you'll find grace. If you're suffering unjustly, there's no credit, no grace will be given. You say, I fit no category here because I'm in business for myself. I'm the one employee. I'm the employer and the employee. There is nobody else. Well, then it's you and Christ. It's you and God. They see everything that you do. God even sees when you overwork. God even sees when you underwork. God sees everything, attitudes. He sees actions. He sees it all and He asks the question, are you being submissive to me? Are you doing it with sincerity and single-mindedness of heart? Are you doing it in such a way that you're serving the Lord Christ and anybody else whom you have opportunity? And if so, are you suffering for Christ? Are you under the opportunity that God gives you, under in the sense that you're bearing up under it if you're suffering? And if not, are you doing it so the doctrine of our God and Savior might be adorned by those around you? Boy, wouldn't it be great in heaven if you were rejoicing in the Hallelujah Chorus and you were doing like we were doing this morning, just praising God's song after song after song after song. And you look to your left and to your right if that scenario will be played out in heaven and you see your boss standing right beside you. And your boss says, I'm here because I adorned the doctrine of our God and Savior through your witness. Or fellow employees who would be able to say, I've seen you work. And I don't know exactly what it is about it, but I see that you don't compromise, and I see that you have integrity, even down to the paperclip. And I'm wanting what I obviously don't have. I'm tempted to sin in these ways. I'm critical of my boss. I want to be in such a relationship with everybody else that I'm only looking for what I can receive. And you seem to be giving and giving and giving. And you seem to be giving all the boss your time and attention even when he's not looking. You see, no matter what kind of boss you have, you will serve them, and if you suffer, look at Christ. He was approved of God. He suffered. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. How did He do it? He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to God, who judges righteousness. He was saying in his heart, God will take account of all words, all actions. Can I wait for delayed gratification? Can I wait for the infliction of the right kind of chastisement on those who have injured me at God's timing and at God's bidding? Or must I lash out and must I be revengeful now? Do my fellow employees believe of me that I am harsh with them? Do they think I'm looking for my own pound of flesh? Do they hear me criticizing the boss? Or do they see of me someone who's different? Someone who stands out like a sore thumb? Somebody who's willing to live under adverse conditions and who still has a frame of mind that says, isn't today great? Don't we have the opportunity today to work 
and work hard? What does your living sermon consist of? Is it from the heart? Is it with sincerity and single-mindedness? Is it with goodwill? Do you do your work heartily? Do you serve your boss all the more? Are you well-pleasing? Are you argumentative? Are you stealing? Are you showing good faith? It's all wrapped up in these passages. The attitude that pleases God is that of the employee who does his work heartily, cheerfully, quickly, and with enthusiasm. Do you give your all, or does the work have to be dragged out of you? Are you someone people like to be around at work because you're enthusiastic, upbeat, cheerful, or do you complain and mutter about conditions or other people? Do you build up and edify those around you? Are you usually critical of management or your fellow workers? A Christian with an overtly critical attitude is a bad witness. Ephesians 4.29 says, let, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it might, might give grace to those who hear. In other words, avoid complaining, criticizing, and murmuring. Those things lead to self-pity, which breeds rebellion and ends ultimately in spreading dissatisfaction and discontent. Do your work from the very depths of your soul. No job or task is too small or unimportant not to be done with all the soul. A worker who is negligent creates a sloppy product or does work in a hurried or half-hearted way. He's the worst possible recommendation for Christianity. I mean, what if someone were to survey your employment history? Would they say, I want to go to the same church they go to? I want to be a part of what they're a part of. Or do they look at your work and say, boy, that's schlocky. That's half-hearted. That's half-done. They're half-baked. I mean, they just don't put their heart into this thing. Why would I want to go to a local church that they're a part of? Because is the, mo is the lawn going to be mowed? Are the bathrooms going to be clean? Is it attractive? Do we want to go to a place where they do everything with excellence? Because I see this employee. You see, a bad workman is letting down the Son of God and dishonoring His truth. We're to work for our earthly bosses as unto Christ. It means our attitudes and our standards are different from those of the world. Our work and our service is to be done as though it were being offered to the Lord in heaven Himself. Serious business. And it's an attitude of reverent fear because we grasp the essential sacredness of doing our work as to the Lord. Boy, this is a great challenge, but I'm telling you, it is a great challenge because as we pursue this work for Christ, We'll have people whom God in His sovereignty from eternity past will draw to Himself because our fragrant aroma will be lifting them to the place of asking the kinds of eternal questions that you and I want to ask. What is life all about? How can you be different? What is it about you that I don't have? And if they don't ask that, maybe at a lunch break, maybe after work, maybe on a weekend, you can grab a hold of them and say, I want to talk to them. You know, you and I have worked together for several years now, and I never told you about Christ. He's the motivation for all my work. He's why I do what I do. Do you know Christ? Do you think much about spiritual things? How motivated are you to ask questions about your eternity? Is this all of life to you? To, to be married, to have children, to buy a house, and then to retire and then die? There's more to life than that. You want to know Christ? I hope I've shown you about Christ through my work. You can know Him now. Commit your life to Him. Come with me to my church. Sit under the teaching of God's Word. Allow Christ to be your eternal boss. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Let's pray together.
our Father. That's the kind of living sermon that we want. We want the kind of life that speaks of the attractiveness of Christ as our boss. We don't want to be slipshod. We don't want to be lazy. We want to do our work heartily as to you. Because we know you're watching. We know that you ultimately are the one who will evaluate all of our work from the most mundane and menial task all the way to those things which are perceived as important. And we pray that even though our boss may not be looking or fellow employees, we know that you are, and they probably are as well. Lord, take us and use us as faithful, godly employees. And if we're employers, allow us not not to threaten, not to push and poke and prod, but to be loving and kind and treat them as though we would want ourselves to be treated. Let us be attractive for you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.